Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different great varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. So I'm here with uh, Dionisi Gravinitas, who is um, an importer with DNS uh, Selections, and he imports uh, Greek wines into the US. Um, he's in New York right now, I'm in California, and I actually uh, work with some of his wines. The distributor here in California, California is Springboard, and the Greek wines that they bring in are absolutely fantastic. And they've really got me excited about Greek wine. I say 10 years ago, Greek wine was something I was a bit nervous about tasting, so you're never quite sure about the quality, but now, I feel I'm really excited about uh, Greek wine. There's a lot of really good stuff being made. And I think it's a country to really look out for because it's great value, but really good quality. So Dionisi, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your relationship with Greek wine? Well, I, ha- I happen to be um, Greek American. My, my parents immigrated here in 1970s. So there's an, an obvious uh, connection there. Truth be told, I worked in wine um, for years long before I got involved with Greek wine. Um, I worked as a as a buyer for a restaurant uh, in Manhattan, starting in uh, roughly in 2000. And then I worked different jobs, uh, owning a restaurant, retail, and then ultimately in uh, working for a large importer. Uh, not not DNS Wines, the company I currently uh, am a partner in, but um, I got involved in in kind of the importing game. And by and large, my experience during that period of time uh, was, was with wines that um, were relevant to the market or that the importer that I worked with was known for. So um, I worked with a lot of French wine and uh, Italian wine, some domestic wine, a lot of Burgundy. And my palate as it kind of grew and my interest as it grew through through maybe that first uh, 10 or 11 years of, of working and, and learning about wine was really through that lens generally old world European wines, and they're, they're still uh, my first go-to. As I worked for, for uh, this other importer, it turned out that they were working with a portfolio of Greek wines that they had lost access to. It had moved on to another importer. And um, I pitched it to them to create our own book, our own portfolio of Greek wines. And being that this was a, a larger importer, it was only of minor interest to them back in 2011, I guess it was. But I was just a lowly sales rep uh, at that company, um, doing quite well, but also um, looking for things to engage in other than, you know, knocking on doors and, and selling wine. And so um, I put my energies towards producing a portfolio of Greek wines that were predominantly never imported to the United States before that. And, and it did quite well in New York. And then um, when the opportunity to uh, to work with DNS Wines and then partner up with them presented itself some six years ago now, uh, I moved my Greek portfolio over to them. And, and now we sell pretty well nationally, direct markets in New York, New Jersey, uh, Illinois, and California through Springboard, but then also through a distribution network um, to a bunch of other states. So I guess there was a synthesis between, you know, me liking old world European wine and being Greek American. And maybe it was a natural step. Um, however, I, I would say that a lot of the wines that were being imported at that time, say 10 years ago, were not exactly to my liking. But in my imagination, I felt that things were afoot, as it were, in Greece. And um, and there was the possibility of getting maybe more interesting producers. Because there's a, there's a long history to, to Greek wine, obviously. More 
specific to the people in the United States, there's a shorter history of Greek wine importing to the United States, which I think is also very relevant. And the fact of the matter is that by and large, a lot of the Greek wine that was imported to the United States was imported by um, people of the Greek diaspora that came over in the 50s and 60s and opened up the famous Greek diners that you find in, in Chicago and New York and elsewhere. I'm, I'm from Philadelphia and we certainly have them there. And they had need of, of bringing over Greek product for their restaurants and diners. And that could have been olive oil or it could have been feta cheese or olives. Um, but then it also became wine. And so some of the first importers were, along with those other uh, staples, they were importing wine. And you can imagine that the, that the wine was of rather low quality and of bulk because honestly, the restaurants that, that they had were not particularly expensive restaurants. So it all had to fit both within a price uh, framework, but then also in what their expectations of what wine was, which is equally fairly low. When there's a historic reason for that, which we can get into if you like. And then there was a sort of second phase of wine importing, which happened in the late 80s, early 90s, um, which also coincided with a change in Greece that predated it by about a decade, which is to say that Greeks became really enamored with um, international varieties, particularly um, Cabernet Sauvignon, but then that morphed into Syrah and some Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and so the idea was that the quality wines coming out of Greece or being produced in Greece were, were, were wines of, made of international varieties. And the importers were bringing these in as the sort of apex of Greek winemaking and Greek wine. I would say this third shift happened in the late 90s and uh, into the early aughts where um, we started moving away from that and bringing in indigenous varieties and, and focusing on Appalachians of origin within Greece, Santorini and Alsa. Well, Santorini was always being imported, but but I think uh, a focus was being put on these places. But that sort of modern Robert Parkerization of wine uh, element still was, uh, was part of what was being brought over. So, it's true that you were bringing over um, indigenous varietals, but um, generally they could be over extracted or they could be over oaked. And at the very least, if they weren't all those things that were really products of incredibly technical winemaking. So they were trying to clean up the wines and make the market ready. Um, and there's an argument to be made for that, of course, if you're looking for a really broad argument, uh, a, a really broad um, audience in order to make them market ready for the United States. And so you had indigenous varietals, but made in a particular way that maybe didn't showcase what they had to offer. Uh, because if you're working reductively, say with white wines, or if you're working with heavy extract uh, with red wines, you begin to lose delineation between what, what one varietal does over another. And they, they tend to morph into kind of type of wine, if you will, at least to my palate. And then by the time um, I started, it was really just a confluence of, of my interest, um, an opportunity that availed itself, and then pure luck and serendipity. Because what was happening at that point, small wineries were beginning to pop up in Greece, or they had existed, but no one was paying attention to them, that were working more traditionally, um, that were maybe a little bit more respectful of, of their varietals, of the cepage and, uh, and of the terroir. When I set out to create a, a Greek portfolio of wine, it wasn't to um, import just 
Greek wine for the sake of importing Greek wine. I really ran it through the lens of what do I love about Italian wine? What do I love about French wine? And can I find corollaries of that in the vineyards of Greece? I really kind of did a lot of heavy homework and traveled through the, you know, the hinterland of different areas of Greece and met uh, some amazing people that were doing uh, some amazing work. And so we launched in 2012. And so the portfolio is all of eight years old, I guess, in the United States now. Cool. And it sounds like your career has kind of paralleled the developments of Greek wine internationally. These small wineries are now getting um, a voice, getting a market, partly because of people like you, but also because in Greece, things are happening, things are changing. It's not kind of a low quality or it's not just international varieties. It's a real emphasis on indigenous varieties and getting them out there. And I think people are beginning to appreciate them a little bit more. It's funny what you're saying about um, how Greek wine was initially imported by Greek immigrants. Uh, I was in Portland, Oregon a couple of years ago, and there's Greek wine everywhere because there's a large Greek community there. And it's quite strange to be in a city uh, just a few hours north of me and all this Greek wine, sudden access to it. Uh, but I think it's going beyond that now. It's going beyond the Greek community to just general wine drinkers. And so, um, what, we want to, what I want to look at first, kind of building what you've been saying, are those indigenous grape varieties and just talking about them, their character, uh, where they're grown and what they're like. And I think the obvious one to start with, and also what I would like to do is kind of emphasize the pronunciation of these grape varieties, because you're going to do it a lot better than me. Uh, so just to make sure we get them right. But the obvious one to start with, I think, is Assertico, which is one of my favorite white grape varieties. And I think it's one, it's the one that really introduced me to quality Greek wine that Greek wine could actually be fantastic and have all that acidity and structure and ageability and complexity. So talk to me a little bit about Assyrtigo. Uh, Assyrtigo is, is an absolute noble variety. It could be argued, and I would argue, that it's uh, within the top three or four white varieties on the planet. So what are your other three? <laughs> well, certainly Riesling is up there. Um, and uh, everyone has their maybe their personal preferences. Um, coming up in Burgundy, I would, you know, Chardonnay. It's funny, Chardonnay is an interesting thing. I mean, Chardonnay um, can be said to be a rather neutral and insipid grape, and that's why you have to doctor it with oak in order to kind of create that. But when married to that, to whatever the hell the Burgundians are doing, um, I don't know that you can have a beautiful Puligny or Merceau or Chassan and not and not say, gosh. These are some of the best white wines in the world. That might be more a product of the marriage of the of the variety and the terroir and then the history of Burgundy. When we're, when we're speaking about Assyrtico, just what the grape does makes it amazing. I mean, you're talking about a varietal that is um, developing in, in somewhat of a hermetically sealed environment on this island of Santorini for the past 3,500 years. I mean, imagine that for a second. The 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 terroir of Santorini is, is that old because that's when the the volcano of Santorini exploded in whatever it was, fifteen hundred BC. And what settled was in places thirty meters thick of just pure volcanic ash that has almost no organic material in it. It's an incredibly poor soil. And then when Assyrtiga was brought to the island. Believe me, uh, nothing survived that explosion. I mean, uh, they find ash deposits in Iceland, ice cores uh, that are drilled out. Um, the, 
I think the Chinese had uh, crop failings that year from the explosion of Santorini. So nothing really survived. But when it was repopulated and cultivars were brought, and it's thought, by the way, that Sirtico may have been brought by the Phoenicians, who were the first to repopulate Santorini. And they were subsequently pushed off by Dorian Greeks from the Peloponnese. But um, it's, thought of the, it's thought that they may have brought the white cultivar from, from the Levant, from Assyria. And that's where you get a Sirtico, the name of Sirtico that is stuck. But the, so this new, this 3,500-year-old terroir and this varietal have been developing together hand in hand for this period of time. And I don't know that you can really say that for very many places. And you have a, a rather hostile environment. There's, there's certainly precipitation as rain uh, in the winter, but from bud break through to harvest, which is in August, in Santorini, the average rainfall is, is negligible to zero on, on, on your average year. And so the heat stress, and these are unirrigated vineyards, right? So the heat stress is, and the water stress is amazing. The wind as all the Aegean, uh, the island as all the rest of the Aegean is, is buffeted by, by pretty strong winds. And then the sun is just beating down on these vines for, for very long, you know, for long hours. Given this, you would expect that any varietal would have a hard time of it. Um, and yet you harvest a Sirtico at a bricks, you know, with a potential alcohol easily of you know, 14, 14, 5. With an acidity of, of I mean, the, the pH on these wines are generally like around 3, 2.95. I mean, really, really high acid, really low pH. And so between that phenomenon, the minerality and the volcanic information that Sirtico kind of acts as a vector for, that pulling it out of the, out of the terroir uh, of Santorini, this all kind of comes together in this very unique way. I often joke with people, you know, DNS imports wine from, from France and from Italy and now from Austria as well, as well as Greece. But I often joke with people, if Santorini was like 10 nautical miles off of the coast of France, the, the French would never shut up about Santorini, you know, and this amazing appellation that they have. I mean, it is truly stunning and world-class. And I think the winemaking is catching up now to what the raw material offers with respect to the, the terroir and the, and the marriage of the cepage to that terroir. You know, it gives medium to full-bodied whites. There's a pretty intense phenolic grip in the skins. So if you, you know, some that's something that you typically don't want to do too much of, say, um, you know, skin contact. I've never tasted a, a really effective orange Assyrtico because um, just between the phenolics and the, the native high alcohol, it kind of it gives you a kind of a heat to the wine and a, and a bitterness to it. But um, if you're just doing gentle press and using the free run, you're going to wind up with a medium-bodied, even to full-bodied wine with low pH and just gorgeous minerality and salinity and volcanic expression. And so I think rightfully, as far as white wines are concerned, Santorini is known to be you know, the apex of, of winemaking in Greece. And uh, it's certainly been the darling of, of the sommelier world in, in the United States for a few years now. I think you're making a couple of important points. One, that um, the winemaking is catching up with the terroir, that um, winemakers now know how to take advantage of great sites like Santorini and great, 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 great varieties like Assyrtico. So there's kind of more of a balance rather than just you got the raw material, but not knowing 
what to do with it. And also that the French wouldn't shut up about Santorini. And I think it's important that the Greeks don't shut up about Santorini. That, <laughs> that it should be like, this is amazing and everyone should try it. And I do think it's a great starting point for uh, an introduction into Greek wine. It's interesting, you know, historically in Santorini, going back a few hundred years, uh, they've been making wine there forever, but generally the wines would have been sweetened. Uh, Vinsanto originated in, in Santorini and it was brought by Venetians uh, to Italy. And now we think of Vinsanto as an Italian wine, but it's, it's origin is, in, is in, uh, in Santorini. And so strictly dry white wines are certainly within the broad and long history of Santorini are rather modern. And I wouldn't say that they're more than 100, 150 years old, but they were always um, a bit oxidized just because they didn't uh, have the technological means to not make oxidized wines. And a Sirtigo, for all of its strengths, its main weak link is that it easily oxidizes. As far as traditional dry white wines from Santorini would go, I mean, there were probably pretty oxidized, nutty wines that had an almost kind of sherry quality to them, a dry sherry quality to them. Now, by the 90s, winemakers started to catch on and when they started to get, you know, Enox tanks and, uh, you know, pneumatic presses. And so it went completely to the other side of the spectrum. And they started making really, really reductive wines and harvesting earlier. And so Santorini came to be known by most of the, say, professional class, the sommelier class or the buying class of the United States through this incredibly new face of a Sirtico and Santorini and this reductive winemaking. The idea was strip all of the kind of petrol away that, you know, just like Riesling, a Sirtico has a kind of petrol note to it. Strip all that away, clean it all up and give the most kind of laser beam acid driven wine with lower alcohol that has the broadest kind of appeal to a generalized market. And you would see this all the time in periodicals. I mean, you, you would, um, if, you, if you ever looked at a periodical for Greek white wine, or Santorini or otherwise, it's, you know, for drinking on the beach in the summer and zippy and fresh and light. And that's not what Santorini is. That's not what Sirtico <laughs> is. You have to work hard to remove oxygen from the equation and strip the wine down to its bare bones in order to make it drink like a insipid Sauvignon Blanc or Pinot Grigio. And that was happening quite a bit. And now just, I would say in the last five or six years, maybe longer, maybe 10 years, they're starting to find a balance in allowing some oxygen to play with the Assyrtico so that it, it opens up, it broadens the palate. Some of the petrol comes out and you don't have uh, maybe any of the overt damaging oxidation of the past, but you also haven't stripped the wine down. And that marriage of technique and varietal potential and terroir is what is allowing Santorini to really hit its peak right now and create world-class wines. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I've tasted older Assertico and it does have that petrol-like quality. And I think there is a comparison with Riesling. Assertico is definitely its own thing, but that really high acid and the capacity to age and no need for oak or any kind of intervention in that sense is really important. The Sotico expresses itself really well. So it's interesting that you say that just getting that winemaking correct, that it's not over-oxidized, but it's not over-reductive. And again, winemakers are learning 
how to get the best out of the grape variety and the, um, the environment as well, the climate. And that's the end of our first episode, exploring Greek wine and giving an overview of the country's rich heritage and where it is right now. And of course, the great white variety Assyrtico, arguably making Greece's best wines. In the next episode, we'll be back with Dionisi uh, talking about the other white grape varieties of Greece. So thank you for listening. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. Thank you.